0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are wrapping up, for now at least, our focus on Scotch here at Crafted. Now, it definitely won't be the last time we talk about Scotch, just the last time that we talk about scotch for a while here. So, you know, you ought to really savor this part three of my conversation with Matt Manzer. And what you're going to get today are some more real-time tastings and our reactions, you're going to get more great information from Matt, and you're probably going to get a few rather questionable opinions from yours truly. but. You're also going to have a very good time, I think, because the more Matt and I talked, the more we tasted, and the more um, festive, you could say, things got. This episode is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies and some of the very best companies across a range of craft categories that support the independent work that we do here at Blister. You can learn more about the Blister Craft Collective companies on our website, and we'll include a link to the Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. Check them out because we are confident that some of these companies are going to become some of your new favorite companies Two, And now, let's do this. Part three of Amateur Hour about scotch with Matt Manzer. Here we go, folks. Here's maybe the best question I'm going to ask you in this entire conversation. In the world of wine, a lot of time is given to the, like, you spit. You spit out, you taste like taste the wine, but spit it out. Doesn't sound like that's a thing. I've never heard of that really being a thing in the whiskey world. And you're talking about- It would be. Huh? It would be. But you're talking about the, the PhDs in chemistry. Those was-
1: guys would spit it out. They would, they would do their thing. If they didn't spit it out, they would for sure rinse their mouth before they sampled another cask. Um, especially with peated scotch, like really peated scotch. Because it's gross. It messes with your palate in a a way that it affects. I'll put it that way. Messes is too negative. It affects your palate for sure. So if you had an Ardbeg Classic 10 um, Super Peated Salty Seawater Stuff Scotch, and then you had a Buna Haban Unpeated Sherry Matured Scotch, it would affect your palate like way too much.
0: They just would. I th- so I think mostly what we've established is peated shouldn't be a thing. But you've got some peated scotches there. That Bowmore is peated. Okay, but we add water, and then you can't taste the peated as much.
1: Well, there's there's peated fall can fall in their different directions here. So a Lagavulin or Laphroaig Ardbeg. you know these are. Typically super peated, very can be on the campfirey side of things. But then, if you have like a spring bank or Glen Scotia, which is peated, but it's not campfire, it's more savory. And that's why we call it this spring bacon. Spring bacon. um You'd probably like those. To me, they're still, I, Pete th- throws me off. I'm not. Super into it. But um I much prefer a Springbank versus Lafroy. Like, no question. Those are sherry sure matured, peated scotches from Springbank. Yeah, I'm curious to try this uh, single malts of Scotland, Buna Haban 11, to see if it's more peated, see what it's like just compared to the 12, right? Just that's if the 12 is the baseline. Um, what does this independent bottling taste like in comparison? Because mine, my independent bottling of Buna Haben 10 blows the 12 out of the water, out of the water. But it's a first fill sherry butt, it's like a very pure expression of what it is, which is what yours is too.
0: What wait, have we done this yet? What is your best guess about how your single bottling 10, your independent bottling 10? Sorry. I think, mm-hmm. the, I think this is the part where the booze is officially kicking in. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. The Your independent bottling 10 versus my independent bottling 11. Thoughts? What's your best guesses?
1: Uh, it sounds like yours is a little peated. Mine is not at all. Why do you? So I get, you said that when you off, smelled. Off it, the nose. When you, oh, when you, yeah, when yeah, you opened it, that. yeah. Yep. So so this is purely, mine is purely unpeated. I get way more chocolatey notes when I smell this. Like, like chocolate cherries are in this versus the 12. Like it really smells like it. This is pretty insane. Chocolate cherries.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you know this, pretty cherries nuts. aren't chocolate. But chocolate-covered cherries I just had a spider wander onto my desk. What up, spider?
1: I think you're seeing things. You should definitely add more water to that.
0: No. Hey. Oh, you're going back with the uh, spring break? I'm, re- I'm refilling
1: on my independent bottling of up in here.
0: The tent. The
1: sign- signatory? Signatory vintage uh Buna Ten. Now, fun fact about Signatory. Not only are they a independent bottler, they also own a distillery. So, they own the Edradour distillery, which makes some killer Scotches as well. So I have some Edradours that are just phenomenal. You can this is where it gets a little bit weird. So, you can have an edradour official bottling of edradour There's a 10 year but it's at 40%, right? A lot of companies do this. Like they make the the entry point to their range uh with the, the lowest ABV just to kind of not put people off with the the spice factor or the kick. Um but there is a signatory version of edradour 10 year old at 46%. And that's awesome. So the official bottling of Edredauer, 10% is a batch, just like Buna Habin 12, right? But it's done at 40%. However, at the signatory side of the same company, you can get Edredauer, 10-year-old, single cask, 46%, and that's light years better. And
0: better is better.
1: Better is just better. And so, uh, yeah, Signatory is in a a pretty cool spot where not only are they going to all the other distilleries around Scotland, but they also own their own, and you can get official bottlings of um, as well. Hmm. Another independent bottling company called Gordon & McPhail, they're probably the oldest. They're like over 200 years old. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, many different options in their range, all the way from the super expensive 50,000 euro bottles down to 40 euros a bottle. Um, but they own a distillery called Ben Roma. Ben Roma? Yeah, Ben Roma. Um, but it's more of a
2: peated
0: slant that the that those have. We need to continue to provide value for our crafted Challenge. listeners.
1: Challenge accepted. Yeah. If you're still listening to this, let's ramble on about, you're listening to us talk about drinking scotch. Uh, that's what that means. But um, but it's a, it was a pretty cool idea that during the first podcast we did about scotch when the independent bottling thing popped into my head that we should do this. Um, because just how different the bottlings can be from compared to the official bottling, right? Like it's you'd almost say you have two different scotches like on the table. If someone was like, "This is brand A versus brand B,"
0: I'm right? definitely going to try yeah. to give away this bottle of Bunnahabhain 12, like I did the last one, <laughs> and I'm definitely not going to give away this independent bottling of the 11.
1: There's lots of good things about independent bottlings, which we just talked about. And I'm super happy you like what you have, but it can be the case that you kind of get burnt from time to time. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, Because these, like with the Buna Hobbin 12, there's at least a consistency there. Yeah. That you know what it's going to be like every time you open it. Right. But then the small, variants um but with independent bottlings you might get one the next time where you're just like okay that sucks now for some reason the cask wasn't yep up to snuff or something um it's rare you know for all i've probably got about 20 different independent bottlings in my collection and only one of them i'm like not psyched on like it's good it's 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 good Like, it's fine. But it's It's just not a particular thing. You know, like, on paper, it totally looked like it was going to be, like, a home run. But when I opened it, I smelled it. I was like, hmm, that's odd. It doesn't smell like this typical type should smell like. And then it didn't, didn't taste, like, the typical stuff that I liked. But it was good. It's just its own. It's from a distillery I never had before. And it was an independent... Bottling of a distillery I never had before, so I didn't really have a baseline to kind of go off of. Um, but it was still good. I'll probably just give it to you when you come over or something like that. Make you Why drink am it. Am I going to
0: like it? I'm not going to like <laughs> it.
1: I'll be pushing off. But your, um, you're
0: terrible scotch on me.
1: all the, all the the B grade shelf goes to you. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask but you. It's, it's it can happen, right? So. Just just be aware that yeah. every time you go back for an independent bottling, it's going to be different. Like you're never gonna get that same cask that you liked. So if when Jonathan, in like three years, when you go back and look for a Buna Haben from the single malts of Scotland, they might have something. And it might look on paper oh, it's the same age range, it's the matured and the similar type of cask, yada yada yada. But it might be just It's going to be. It will be different. No question. Is it going to be good, different, bad, different? It's kind of a yeah. Roll the dice. Gotcha. Now it's up to them. Like their their brand is on the line, right? Single malts of Scotland doesn't want to put out a dog, right? So they don't want to release crappy shit either. But um, it can
0: happen. It just might not be what you were looking for. And that's also then a very interesting thing in that. I guess you kind of need to establish a level of trust with your particular independent bottler. Totally. Yep. So I only know one. <laughs> yeah. Called the single But malt you got a stock. good start. Yeah.
1: But I'm, I mean, if, if anybody sees stuff from Signatory, like they're a, a super well-respected independent bottler, if anybody comes across the Red Cask Company... I've only had one, but I can't wait until more stuff becomes available. I'll totally pick it up sight on scene. Like I'll just pick, boom,
0: done. <clears throat> well, when when we do our Scotland trip, we need to now definitely try to get a conversation with one of these independent bottlers. We should go to a distillery and then, well, see, this would be a cool thing. Distillery. We're we, going to go to more than one. We're just going well, go we to not go to up, any super peated ones because we've established- We can hit up. Peter's if we hit up Edred stupid. What? If we
1: hit up Dower Distillery, yeah. we just cross the hallway into Signatory and we can
0: efficiently it. use our time. Okay. There you go. We'll make that happen. Yeah. Very cool. Um, subjective question. Mm hmm. Just like these whiskeys, they only taste this way at this particular point in time.
2: Name three
0: scotch producers that either you personally are most excited about or they're kind of hot right now. This happens, right? It happens in the ski industry. It happens in whiskey. It happens in scotch. I presume it happens in wine. Like Who right now is super hot and or you can mix that with what distillers you are personally really curious about or in on give me your top three
1: um i would say the the hottest distillery right now is spring
0: bank spring bacon spring you and i maybe will open up spring bacon (laughs) all of our scotch tastes like ham
1: um Okay. Which this is actually in the tasting notes of some Kalilas and Ard is there's this like smoky no, ham I'm, I'm note I'm not to trying their to go stuff. That direction. Okay, so S- Springbank,
0: anyway, who you've been talking
1: Springbank, whenever whenever they release anything, it's just it's gone. Huh? Like you just can't get it. Huh?
3: Is it expensive?
1: And it it used to be not very expensive but it's just supply and demand at this point and what what like there's their a bottle of 10 year old so they're on the level mouthfeel very similar to the Erin 10 that you have but there's a slight just a very savory peat note to it so it's more oily tons of flavor it's always natural color unchill filtered 46% or cask strength so they hit all the stuff on the checklist, right? Um, Springbank is one of the few distilleries that does everything start to finish. They grow their own barley. They, they dry the barley. Either they peat it or they don't. Um, they malt it. They produce the spirit. They cask it in-house. Ho- in and they own their own bottling plant which they mo- most places don't do start to finish like like even like some of the best distilleries they're buying grain they're buying the barley from some place they malt it in house they produce the spirit they cask it and age it in house but then they send it off to a bottling plant somewhere in central Scotland um usually glasgow um which is not central but um to get bottled, very few places control everything start to finish. Springbank is one of the very few that do this, huh. and within the springbank distillery, they have another uh, brand that they call Kilcarran, which is heavily peated so if you 're a, a really big peat fan, which we aren't they may they make something called under the brand Kilcaran, and they also make a uh, a different brand named Hazelburn, which is unpeated. So you have an unpeated Hazelburn, a semi-peated Springbank, and a heavily peated Kilcarran. And all of those, whenever they have a new 10-year, 15-year, 18, 30, whatever it is, it's it's online or it's in a shop for five minutes before it's sold out. Where are they located? And this is Campbelltown. So it's an island... In the southwest, like the very bottom of Scotland, um, in that body of water, which I'm not sure what the name of it is. I'm going to get flamed for this. But um, uh, Campbelltown used to be the, one of the more famous areas for producing scotch. It has kind of faded over time, huh. but now it's resurging Interesting, because of Springbank huh. and a, another distillery on that island called Glen Scotia. Also makes a similar
0: style, but you're saying they do everything start to finish and they are now they have some 30 year old op- offerings. Yep, mm-hmm. okay, they're not taking mm-hmm. juice from other
1: no
3: None distillers.
0: No. Okay,
1: they wouldn't be a single malt then, yeah, yeah,
0: interesting. All right, All right we got to go there, yeah. we got definitely have to go. So, there. and I'll be like, so spring break, your Clara Klugen is trash but your your spring i'm we're Clark- going there right remember i'm going i was told oh there i'm an yeah, american you don't want to kill Karen. yeah yeah kill Karen, trash spring bank pretty cool i think you'll like hazelburn yeah. probably amazing that's the jam yeah yeah okay yep yeah. yep okay
1: i would also love to visit Glenn Farkless.
0: they're on our list
1: yeah so spring bank is independent Meaning they're not owned by another larger group, right? Um, So, Springbank is independent. Glenn Farkless is independent, family-owned. They make the family cask range that I was talking about earlier. I'd love to see some of their stuff in person. And my other favorite would be uh, Tamdu. It would be pretty rad to go see them.
0: Okay. Do you have a clear order of your own excitement or enthusiasm of those three? Well, I mean,
1: Springbank is by far, that's the hottest brand, I think, the hottest distillery. It's not what I like to drink, but they just do things, what I would call it a very high level of integrity,
0: right? You're they, not that into integrity, is what you're saying.
1: Personally, clearly not. Um, but um, they're just doing everything the way, if I were to make a distillery, I would do it the same way they would do it, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But those are my top three, let's say, of places to hit up. The downside to go into... I would love to see Buna Harbin. Like I
0: think they make awesome stuff. Except I have make, to go and tell them that I hate their 12.
1: <laughs> well, you have to get to Isla, which is an island as well. So, going to Springbank and go into Buna Harbin. Not the easiest thing we've ever done, probably. Kay.
3: But...
2: Worth it. Sorry, for
0: Springbank... Sure. Tamdu, Who was your third? The- Glenn Farkless. Oh, yeah, yeah. What about Edger? Edger something. Edger
1: Dower. Yeah, Edger Dower would be good to see them because they also, well, they're owned by Signatory. Ooh. Right? Yeah. So if you go see Signatory, you go see
0: Edger Dower. I like that. I Bunha- assume Bunhaven. it's the same HQ. Bunahaben we'll is see. getting pushed down the list, except that we're going to try to buy or steal all of the. <laughs> Eleven-year-old, but they don't even have it. That's going to be—it's all in America right now. Yeah, that's made for that. That was a U.S. What? What a strange thing! Like, why? Why is Mm -hmm. that a U.S. exclusive?
1: It happens in the ski industry too. Talk about it. SMUs special makeups.
0: You know, like there are like your Japanese. What? What color? Totally. Japanese ski boots, the Japanese like what color? The Japanese love blue. It is
1: just a cultural phenomenon that they just are all about blue. And so, 10, 12 years ago, Atomic, when we launched the first Redster, they're like, yeah, that's not going to fly over here. Worst name ever. It's got to be blue. So, we literally made double deck GS and double deck slalom skis that were blue and white called Bluester. No, you do Japan. not. It was literally
0: called Blooster. Yeah. It All right. Was. Here's I said earlier It drove
1: it drove the head of marketing insane. He was like, This cannot fucking happen. <laughs> okay.
0: Second most important question I've asked you on this podcast. How, you can Google it. You can find these images on Google. Go for it. How do you say Blooster in Japanese? They would try to say it as blooster, but Oh, they're just saying Blooster? Blooster, yeah. Okay. They
1: would say it with a very thick Japanese okay, accent. That's
0: fair. And yeah. I like that. Yeah. I yeah. like that. They're like, screw your Redster BS. Oh, yeah. It's going to be Bluester here.
1: It's funny when you hear our, like our Japanese colleagues speak about something like they're um, presenting to one of their accounts, right? It's a lot of Japanese, 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 Atomic, Japanese, 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 Japanese. It's, it's pretty funny. Right?
0: Wait a sec. Third most important question I've asked in this now hour and 50-minute conversation. Can I get a pair of Bluesters? What would I have to do? Search eBay at this point. They're old. You don't have any around? I mean, I never got the translucent ski boot that we've been talking about forever. I never got my translucent boot. I don't have a white, my favorite color of ski boot. I don't have a white atomic boot. And now I can't even get a blue You're like 10 years too late on that ship. So, you know, they, the best- I'm sure they
1: exist. So th- they were made for Japan and they were brought into Europe like a handful because just so retailers had something special that the, another retailer down the street didn't have type of story. I don't know if they made their way to the U S or Canada. I doubt it. But if anybody's listening, try to find an Atomic Baluster
2: GS on eBay or SL. Go for
0: it. If anybody listening has a lead on one of those in a 26.5, six <laughs> five, please. It's please. a ski, dummy. No, I wanted a ski boot. No, 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 no. This is a ski. Oh, my God. I don't care about this now.
3: Yeah, I got yeah. All excited. no no the, the
0: boots.
1: So the it usually sorry, I thought that was clear. Nope. Um I mean SMUs I'm happen on the ski side. SMUs happen on the ski side way more commonly than boots, right? It's easy to sell uh it's easy to make and sell skis of different colors with different names on them. And this is what happens in Europe a lot. But boots is trickier because it's all about fit. And you might want an SMU based on a certain fit, but it doesn't sell in your shop because that's not the type of foot shape coming into your shop or something like that. But um, we don't usually do uh, – we do – excuse me. We do SMUs on boots, but it's uh, not nearly as widespread as skis.
0: I feel like – They don't really come into the North American market. It's more, like It's more Europe and Asia. We've definitely wasted le- like the last 10 minutes of this because I just wanted a blue redster. Ski boot. Ski boot.
1: Yeah. So that has never existed. <sighs> yeah. It only happened on the ski side.
0: Hey, can I tell you a fun fact? Fun fact. Let me hear it. I might be going back to Japan for the first time. I haven't been there since 2012. Might be going back in January. Pretty good time to go. Do you want to go? Let's go get some Japanese whiskey.
1: Oof. They got some they got some good distilleries over there. I know.
0: Okay. Well, I feel like I should throw in like a bonus thing here because we're almost two hours in. So any <laughs> blister member that is still listening at this point and is intrigued by the possibility of joining me and a few good people. On a ski trip in January to Japan, send a note ASAP. Because I there might be a spot or two, but it there might not be. So but we very much appreciate your loyalty. <laughs> there might be a spot. Yeah, but I I might be going back eleven years later. I'm pretty excited about this. Um
1: I've heard good things. I've been to Japan twice. But never to ski powder. Oof. What did you go for? Japan is one of the largest race markets yeah. in the world. Yeah, which we've talked hence, about. Hence, Blooster. Blue Bluestir. Right. Um, if you, I mean, Europe tends to, when you, when you lump all of Europe together, that runs the ski industry. But when you talk about individual countries and who sells the most race boots on a country basis, it's Japan. Japan and Austria are pretty close, yeah. but you'd be surprised how many freaking race boots Japan goes nuts over. And I've been to Japan twice for uh, development reasons with Redster over the years.
0: Boots? Haven't gone or skis? Yeah, boot, cause cause boots. Because you, sure. you tricked me the first time. Yeah, I went
1: over to, to test prototype boots, Redster boots
0: in um, Japan. By the way, I'm back to drinking the Buna Haben Twelve. Yep. No, I'm out. You're out. Out the first time. Out this time. It's, it's that's it, really good. It's fine. I'm going back. I'm going back. What do Hold I on. need to do here? Just pour all of my water into this glass. What do I need to no, do no, 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 to no. like this? Buna haven I think. I think for you, you. I have a bowmore. Yeah. I have. I could switch over to a midsummer. No, let's uh, do. Um, fun fact know. about bowmore.
1: So if you so Bomar doesn't tend to
0: make my list for oh, just Okay what what they do. David David Handler, get ready to hate Matt Manzer. Please continue. One, I
1: just don't like the the flavored profile of Bomar that much. Okay. For me. Okay. And if anybody has knows Scotch and has been listening and you've heard what I do like, it should be on obvious why Bomar isn't like top of mind for me. Mm-hmm. Their official bottlings are on the lower side of the ABV. Um, they add coloring to their, Ooh, their whiskeys. You don't like that. And, and uh, they chill filter, their whiskey. All
0: right. That's this two does strikes. not,
1: this doesn't mean it's a bad whiskey, but again, if I'm going to put 150 euros in the table, yeah. where is it going to go? I'm going to choose my direction. With that said, you can find independent bottlings of bowmore that are 46% or cask strength, natural color and unchill filtered. Huh. For me that's way more appealing than the standard bottlings of bowmore. Okay. And when you see a standard, when you see an independent bottling of bowmore, it has the color of a chardonnay versus what's in your hand. A chardonnay like a,
2: yeah. a
0: yellow golden yeah. That's interesting.
1: So what you're seeing in that glass is the the E150
0: caramel colorant. So there are I'm with you though. That's like kind of, I'm with this you. Is, I don't this think this is there's too many yeah. there's there's too much whiskey out there to be playing around with companies that are throwing in additives and coloring like we're not into that yeah that we're gonna cross and them i
1: i get why they do it because these larger distilleries like like bowmore or even every let's just say this every official distilleries every distilleries official bottling they are aiming for consistency batch to batch to batch the problem with casks is you do not get consistency of coloring just the way that casks work, you're going to get some that are lighter, some that are darker. The flavor profile might be the same, right? No, we don't, but, but people would judge it, but people would say the, the lighter color one isn't as flavorful just based on the, the optics of what's in the bottle. And this is why distilleries color their whiskey is to maintain, um, the no, sense of consistency. We're not about that.
0: We're not about that here on Crafted.
1: Yeah. So, Unfortunately for me, that's why a Beaumont has a negative against it. It's still, if you like the flavor, mouthfeel, smell, those are all valid reasons to buy it. If you bought an independent bottling of Beaumont, you're getting a better version of Beaumont. I guarantee it. It'll smell better, taste better, and feel better in your mouth. Because it's a higher ABV. It's unchill filtered. You're getting the what it is.
0: Type of thing. Okay. No. And I mean, it's funny when I started this whole crafted podcast, I didn't realize how important the question of consistency was going to be to everything we're talking about in every single quote unquote craft category, vertical, whatever. And for the most part, one of the things I'm learning is. When we're talking about like, what does, what does craft mean, right? What is it, a legit craft category? One of, not the only, and there's, there's wiggle room here, but one of the really interesting things that comes up in every single conversation is the question of consistency. And I'm not ready to say like, if consistency is one of your absolute top priorities as a manufacturer then that almost means you are excluded from the the craft categorization Mm -hmm. but dude it's it actually starts to kind of look like that
1: you know like i remember you had a conversation with i forget his name from the alchemist oh john kimmich right yeah right yeah yeah so you look at bud light yep Every can yeah, of bottling exactly of Bud Light is consistent. Yeah. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's important. Mm-hmm. Right? And I remember him saying he doesn't care about consistency. That's right. It's, it's going to be – he has varietals yep. to his beer. Yep. Right? And I think there's a distinction that needs to be understood there and appreciated that consistency is important for some people. Right. However, when it comes to the crafted side of things, the single malts of Scotland independent bottling company, their definition of consistency is one of quality. It's consistent quality. You might have wildly different flavor profiles coming out of their products, but the consistency is measured in terms of its quality, right? You're never going to get a they hope a dog out of that batch that they make, right? But whereas you look at Beaumar twelve or whatever you've got. 18. Um, you know, bro, they're trying to 18, hit, bro. Yeah, they're trying to say no matter whenever you buy a Beaumar 18, it's gonna have the same smell, taste, mouthfeel, look, and that's why they color it. You know? It's really because if they had one that turned out looking like Chardonnay, You'd think something was off. Yeah. You wouldn't pick it up. You know? And, but if you get an unchill, you get an independent bottling of Beaumont that's natural colored, you know, it, it, it looks more like a bourbon matured scotch should, which is kind of white winish, you know? You said it's a very bourbon, light, a bourbon matured? Yep. Yeah. So, it depends what their recipe is. And Beaumore does use sherry casks into their recipe, but it's not the majority of what they use. I'm sure of it. Okay. Like for example, um I know Glenn Fittich, um twelve year old is ninety percent bourbon cask matured, ten percent sherry cask. And when you pour it, even though it has color and added to it for consistency's sake, it's very light. You know, it's this very, very yellowish light amber Hmm. to it versus these dark
2: reds that you get with first fill sherry,
1: right? And better or for worse, people who know a little bit about whiskey are like, oh, the dark red, that's going to be first fill. That's what I want. You know? Nope. So, these brands are under pressure to make their scotch look like its first fill. Okay. Whereas, when you get a bottling of Glen Farkless 10, 12, 15, 18, even the 25, it has a very light amber color to it. This is because it's refill sherry casks, which are good. Yeah. You know, they have their own unique flavor profile. Like some of... I've got a Glen Farkless you know, 15 in my cupboard that is awesome, but it doesn't look dark at all. Yeah. They just said, hey, this is what a refill cask matured scotch looks like. It's Oloroso sherry matured, but it's refill. It might be, you know, second fill, third fill, fourth fill, depending on what we've got in the batch, but it's good. has its own flavor profile to it. We think you're going to like it, you know? but um
0: yeah anyway well but that's where it just gets into the question or the issue or the importance of continuing to educate the consumer right mm-hmm. i can't imagine yeah. like if we did a survey and we were like all right everybody in the world who's interested in whiskey do you want companies to add coloring to their products or not. I would suspect among people who actually like the idea of quality and they're not just going for the cheapest shit out there, they mm-hmm. would be like absolutely not. That's not a right. part of the taste, it's not a part of the flavor, the how it was made, don't add color. I suspect that an overwhelming majority would be like don't add color to my juice. And yet manufacturers are like, wow, you're super naive in understanding how actual consumer purchasing decisions are made, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, well, then we need to keep having conversations like this because through education, hopefully more and more people are like, oh, maybe I don't judge a book by its cover. How you like them apples? Um, Ooh, nice. Right? Like, I would much rather, and I think everybody listening to this conversation would be like, don't fake it with color. Just, if it's good, I'll, okay, tell me it's good. And if it's actually good, I don't care what color it is. Yep. So, this is about education on these topics.
1: And you're seeing this become more and more common, to be honest. You know, one of the good things about the internet is that all this information is at our fingertips, and people who are starting to care about their whiskey or whatever your passion is, um, they're looking to learn more about what's going on. And Buna Haben's a great example that in the 80s, for example, Buna Haben was 40%, it wasn't natural color. And it was chill filtered. Huh. Why? They just, this is what you did back then to your scotch, right? Like it shouldn't get cloudy when you add ice to it. So you should chill filter it. Put it out at 40% so you can have more bottles out of a cask. Maximize your outrun, you know? And you color it so there's this level of consistency that people can just go back to. But the more that people understand that all these things are detracting from their experience with the whiskey, it's becoming more known. And brands like Buna now everything in their range is 46.3% minimum. It's all natural color and unchill filtered. And they say it on the bottle. You know, if you pick up your bottle, you're going to read it right under the age statement. It says natural color, unchill filtered. So the brands that are that have tapped into this, that know what their, their customers are looking for, they're putting it on the label, and it's in the front. They're happy to declare that. But when you look at something like the Glenn Fittich 12, you don't get any of that. You see 40%. You don't see any declaration of natural color. You don't see any declaration of unchill filtered. Which means it is yeah. colored yeah. and it is chill filtered. Otherwise they would say it. And that's kind of where a lot of the whiskey aficionados have gone into the independent bottlings since you know the last fifty years was to find those Buna hobbins that were natural colored, unchill filtered, forty six percent or cask strength. Because they weren't part of the official offering. But now they're starting to be part of the official offering from many brands. Like, you'll never find a spring bank that's at 40%, right? You'll never find an Aaron that doesn't declare that it's natural colored or unchill filtered. All of them say that, no matter which one. Even the 10-year-old, like, the that's the basic level, you know, that you're buying. So these these brands that actually care, even at their entry point to their range, are making it seem like a high end offering, even at a low age statement or a younger age statement type of thing. Or even a non age statement. You know. One of the whiskeys we were looking at for this podcast, we're like, well, do we get some errands involved? What's the deal here? And one of the ones I mentioned to you was the Aaron Sherry sure. cask. Yep. That's just what it's called. Yeah. It's a non-age statement. It's probably between five and seven years, type of thing. If it was older than seven, they'd just probably state it at that point, you know. But it's cask strength, not non-chill filtered,
2: natural color. It just happens to be a non-age statement, and it's a kick-ass whiskey.
0: Hmm.
2: All right, we might need to sample
0: that one. It's a goodie. Not gonna lie. We're going to straighten out the world of scotch. I can't wait to get to Scotland for me to correct the entire industry. It'll be an important moment in the history of, you know, the world of scotch. Of Americans being Americans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to talk about sherry. What the fuck is sherry? So, in the
1: world of wines, um, getting, getting wines to survive on long boat trips they were spoiling right so they were having to fortify them with alcohol like a higher strength so that they can survive these journeys and this is where cognacs came from uh port wines and i believe sherry fits into this too this is where
0: my knowledge is not super it's, sharp but it's, that's it's called amateur hour so you can say anything you want and we're it's fine
1: it's a it's a it's a fortified wine right huh it's a higher it's a higher strength wine huh you can't get to this level of alcohol by just normal fermentation. Yeah. Like wine tops out at 14%. Yeah. You know, 15,
0: typically, 16. You know? Right? 15, 16.
1: Yeah. And most most sherries and ports and things like that are around twenty. Eighteen to twenty type of thing. And I'm I'm not the biggest fan of sherry, per se. I've had it. Um, I need to get back to it. Because I really like sherry matured Scotch. Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. Um, and this is kind of where it's interesting. Like I really like port wine. Why? So for me, that ah, just tastes really good. You just like sweet shit. Is that it? Yeah. Not really. I mean, I wouldn't describe this Buna Robin as sweet. That I'm no, drinking,
0: it's true. No, it's I would describe but, it as um, terrible. The twelve. I don't like the twelve. You're I'm terrible. sorry. But you don't like it at all, really. Uh, given the vast offerings in the whiskey and yep. rye whiskey and bourbon worlds, I would never reach for this. Okay. Personal uh, preference, which we're clear on, sure. this is all personal preference. Yeah. But okay, so you're right. You like you like weird trash. Bunnahabhain twelve. But you also like sweet ass, sweet not port. all in the same
1: time. Sweet <laughs> ass port. Okay. So for me, like there's different types of ports. You've got um, ruby port, white port, tawny port. Tawny port is what I like the most.
0: And literally, the really most good. about port I've ever heard. So please continue. Really good. All right. However,
1: when I have single malt scotch whiskey, that's matured in a port cask. I don't have the same wow effect that I do with port. You like ports more than. Mm-hmm. Port matured scotch. Okay. Yeah. All right. And for me, it's just like the opposite with sherry. I'm not, I don't love sherry, sherry but
0: you do love your
1: sherry. But I cask. really like, yes, yeah, sherry matured yeah. scotches. Okay. And it's just, the, it's the combination here, like this recipe of, of variables. You have the sherry, you have the wood and whatever spirit, you know, because one of the things we also, <clears throat> what's really rare is to drink Buna Haban new make spirit, you know, like this is rare to taste this kind of stuff, which you can only usually do at distilleries.
0: Unaged, unaged, Buna. unaged, yeah.
1: It's like here you go. It's this is clear, what the spirit is. White
0: like. booze. Moonshine. Yeah, it's yeah. moonshine.
1: Yeah. And but some are gonna be very fruity, very flavorful, some are more savory. So all this is where you really get to experience the unique characteristics of the distillery itself. So there's a some some whiskey blogs and commentators in the world are like whiskey isn't made in a distillery. Whiskey is made in a warehouse. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Right? The distillery makes the new make spirit. Yep. Yeah. But the whiskey that you drink, that's a product of aging in a barrel yeah. in a warehouse somewhere for a bunch of years. Yeah. Right? So, <clears throat> your warehouse matters too. Yep. Yeah. Is it a, um, a sheet metal steel... Racked warehouse, or mm. is it an old school dunnage, dirt on the floor, stone walled uh, warehouse where a lot of these really old distilleries like Bunnahabhain are afraid to change their warehouse because this contributes to the flavor profile of the Scotch. Right. If you put Bunnahabhain spirit into the same cask. But put it in a forklift-racked stainless steel warehouse in the sun. It would have a different flavor profile than the warehouse that's yeah. been in the ground since yeah. the eighteen twenty threes. You know, like this. Uh, you know, so all these things, like like the acoustics at a great opera house, right? They're they're afraid to change the chairs because that will affect the sound, the acoustics that are in that opera house. These whiskey distilleries are afraid to change their warehouse tactics because it's just going to change the, the flavor profile of their of their whiskey. Starter. I don't know, but I love but, it. Um, that was a great, but that was like um, your
0: best tangent ever.
1: Oof, at the end. So if anybody's listening, you get the best tangent.
0: Like of all our many hours of podcast, I think that was your best tangent ever. Wow.
2: That's um, pretty
0: sad. No. <laughs> because what what I'm thinking about while you're saying all that, it's like, look, man, we're droning on and on about some shit you pour in a glass and you drink it and you get a bit of a buzz and or you're irresponsible and you get blackout drunk, right? I mean, like these are like it's weird. It's all weird. But what I think is really Fascinating. And this is actually what I was thinking about while you were, you know, droning on.
2: These practices,
0: these beverages, have way longer histories than any of us. You know what I mean? Like, scotch was invented before you and I were alive. Scotch will go on well, well, well. Beyond you, the death of me and you. And I don't know. I think it's interesting to have these craft categories where there are these sort of ebbs and flows of how it's being produced. And sometimes color is being added because stupid fucking consumers won't buy stuff if it doesn't look the way that the consumer thinks it ought to look. And so it's like, I. I think there is a um a justification to be made here for somebody who might be like, why are you droning on about all of this expensive fill in the blank? It's not just scotch. It's any type of whiskey. It's any t- it's it's art, right? It's art. And it out Oh no. It outlet oh man, I got a bottle of and 12, I would happily sell you. If you were here, but anyway, you interrupted my great point that, sorry, this stuff is art and it outlasts all of us. And if we, the public get smarter about these things, we can actually help these industries go into a direction that frankly, I'm sure they would rather go into. Maybe, maybe not the biggest producers who are stoked that they can put some food coloring in, you know, put some additives in and just push more and more volume off to an uneducated public. But for the companies that we sort of actually care about, your, your notion of consistency, not as, putting out the exact same product every single year, but the consistency of quality. I really, really like that. Um, anyway, those are some of the things I'm thinking about, but I actually started thinking about how short human lives are and in the scheme and scope of time and human history, that things like wine and whiskey and scotch, those are those are trajectories that are far longer than any single human life. And I think that's, you, you can start to then get a sense of like, okay, this stuff isn't just a waste of time or a status symbol, right? But like, let's actually set the fucking world up for the next century or two or three or four or 10 to do things in an interesting way and have us under better understand individuals, better understand like the actual craft of these things.
3: Hmm.
1: Boom. Boom. I think that was your best rant that I've ever heard. That was a good one. I'm not going to lie.
3: That
1: was a good one. I'm proud of you. I think it's true. You know, it's funny you say that, you know, how long these things span. Yeah. They're going to be around well after well us, after right? Us. And you know, it's funny for me as a product manager, I'm working on products now that people will see in two years. That's how far out I typically am. These distillery managers, people who work at distilleries. So if I were to just say, fuck it, I'm done with the ski industry. I want to launch my own scotch distillery. Called Spring right. Bacon. We already have the name. Spring, Spring Bacon. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna set up shop across the street from Spring Bank. Take them off. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Putting those fuckers out <laughs> of business. Gonna,
1: we're gonna Starbucks them. Yep. And um let's just say I want to do that. Boom. We've got the capital. We're gonna yep. start our own distillery. You're gonna quit blister. Yeah. We're gonna do this together. Exactly. Um we will start to sell our first Scotch when we're
2: mid late fifties. Right.
1: It's like, you you, like anybody who's working at a distillery right now and they're like pumping barrels full of new make spirit. That is for somebody else to manage maybe a generation later. And that's kind of weird and pretty mental to think about. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like they don't most, you know, they, they might, and they probably will be able to see the fruits of their labor. Well received in the market, you know, but every time you see a bottle of 40 year or 50 year or 60 year, everybody who made that, they're so gone. Yeah. They're dead.
0: Long gone. We're we're way beyond the lifespans of the people who started those projects.
1: You know, and that's just a really weird thing to think about. Hmm. One, just on an existential level, but two, as a business. Yeah. (laughs) can you imagine this like we need to invest all this money up front for something we're gonna finally sell in 20 years Mm -hmm. 30 years yeah that's rough (laughs) it's super rough it makes no sense that is that is a really weird business proposition Mm -hmm. for sure Hmm.
0: there you go i'm tempted to switch gears here like really switch gears Are you okay with this? Or or I'll ask you the question and you can say, I don't want to talk about that. Let's go back to the world of, you know, scotch and whiskey and existential questions. Um, Is there another craft category that has sort of come onto your radar in the last, say, year or two? Because I have one. I have a new one that I never cared about previously. But I'm curious whether, you know, like what what's on your radar or has it just been about going deeper and deeper into, say, scotch?
1: Hmm. Now, I don't go down the rabbit hole on this the way I do with scotch. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just the time I spent in Vermont mm. or just growing up in the, the, the Northeast. But cheese is... <laughs> A really big part of my life, to be honest. Hot. Huh. And when I was living in
0: Vermont... I have one name. Got I know one name. That Cabot. No. Oh, okay.
3: That... But, Keep but going. that's
0: like the
1: big one that kind of people like, okay. you know, think about when they think of Vermont cheddar or something like that. But going to like Shelburne Farms outside of Burlington in Shelburne... Um. Just seeing the types of cheddar that they make and how it's aged and how it's made, prepared and aged, it just you know we think about it's a much quicker timeline than scotch, but um, good cheese is awesome, hmm. and it's definitely one of those things where when brands cut corners, hmm. etc., you you can you know it.
0: Interesting. And it's less gooder. Interesting
1: recent
2: uh,
0: Well, let me just say, interesting you say that on the cheese front, because one of I've actually said, <laughs> "My favorite product on Earth, not, not just company, not brand, my favorite product in the world, is probably Bar Hill Tomcat gin <laughs> produced in Montpelier, Bro. Vermont. Okay, And Uh I did a crafted podcast conversation with Ryan Christensen. And Ryan, I don't think we talked about this on the record, but off record, Ryan was like, do you know Jasper Hills, Mm
2: -hmm. which is
0: a cheese manufacturer in Vermont? And he's like, you have to talk to these people. So I, again, as is true of most every category in the world. I probably don't know that much about it, but Jasper Hills is absolutely on my list of places to visit and crafted conversations I want to have. So, it's interesting. I mean, I guess when it comes to cheese in the United States, like New England, maybe Vermont in particular is uh, pretty solid here, but um, that's still some homework I need to do. Okay, so that's good to know. Say again the name of the the company that you were talking about? Shelburne Farms. Shelburne Farms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Super good. Okay, maybe I'll do a cheese trip to Vermont and do try to do both. I don't know, we'll see. So
1: then you can also link it up with Cochrane ski area. Oh. Who okay. And then do They're on my and radar. Then you can
0: do Cochrane's maple syrup. Slope side. Like, oh my God. Right? So, so yeah. maple syrup is a rabbit hole that I've been going down and investigating this. Cochrane's is very much on my radar. 100%. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple other companies on my personal radar here that I've been sampling. I, you know, I often how I do this is like, I... People I trust put some brands on my radar. I g- try to get some of those products, see what I think. But um, yeah, um, Cochran's is in the, in the mix at the moment.
1: Every time I go back and I can get into Vermont, usually when I go back to visit friends in Burlington, yeah. I'm always picking up some, some slope style. And nobody
0: here in Austria understands why I'm doing this. What's the status of like syrup in Austria? Is it maple? Could, Is it made of, I don't know.
1: Yeah, there, there's not much maple, yeah. maple trees here. Yeah. They, not much. <laughs> there's not many, right? They exist, but it's not a cultural thing. Yeah. Because like, what are they going to put it on? They it's don't do breakfast yeah. do the same way. Are you going to put like maple syrup on like bread and
0: cheese? Doesn't work. Is this the part so, where I can be real honest about my experience with Austrian food? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go here. Oh, my God. Dude. Let's get angry, drunk. Um, okay. Austrian food. Um, <laughs> one word review. Fucking terrible. That was two words, but like, given the proximity to, say, I don't know, a country like Italy. Dude, what how could you happening? make the
1: worst pizza in the world
0: and be so close to Italy? It doesn't make any sense. I. Maybe I haven't, I've only been to Austria a couple times, but I'm like, I've also, I've been to Austria as many times as I've been to Italy and Italy is still my number one for best food in the world. Sure. And I'm not, and there's some countries I haven't been to. So there's some other countries in the mix. How given the proximity is Austria so lost? Now, Alba, my girlfriend, right. who is who we, Austrian, who we love, who we love, she will fight you on this. No, she's wrong, but though. she's dead wrong. Yeah, she's a thousand percent wrong. So she can
1: have her opinion, but it's the wrong opinion. Yeah, it's the wrong opinion.
0: <laughs> it just is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I would. If I, I make
1: my own food. Yeah. So last night, what we did, we just made a huge. It took me like two hours to make, but I went like deep into like make a Thai curry, Mm. right? But it has to be all from scratch because not much exists over here to do it. So, it's a pretty intensive, we make a decision, oh, we really want to do Thai curry. Like I have to plan it days in advance to go find all the ingredients and then make it. But we've got enough to like last
0: us like a solid week. Right, of good leftovers, have you ever thought about just saying to the folks at Atomic, "Hey, um, I'm going to go live in Italy now and happy to continue to do my job, but the food here is too bad.
1: It's just so bad I have to move to yeah. Italy.
0: <laughs> have you ever thought about?: see, doing I don't
1: it? I see, I don't run enough to live in Italy."
3: <laughs> ah, I see what I would
1: mean. just become so fat. I got gotcha. you. I would eat all the foods. Yeah. Like when you came to visit, yeah. we had in like just during lunch, pasta and pizza.
0: <laughs> At lunch. Wait.
1: Right? Was that when when we, we were in we... Oslo? Like the old town. Yeah. Like that Roman city? Yeah. It was just like, this was lunch and we like had three pizzas between the three of us well, and like two bowls of pasta.
0: You have to get, and, you have to order everything. And gelato
1: because you just can't not have gelato too. So, yep. we had that. Yeah. So, yeah, I would be a miserable round ball after like hmm. six months of living in so Italy. So,
0: that's, that's, that's the upside to living in Austria. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh.
1: Yeah, I would have, I would have zero self-control. Mm-hmm. I'd be the worst Aristotelian ever living in Italy.
0: I'm still on my program where I vow to be in Italy at least once a year. So I'm still planning to be over there in the fall. I've kind of figured out the window that I think works best for me to like get out of Crested Butte, head over to Europe, by which I mean Italy. So still, still very much planning that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me know. Okay. But the problem part of Italy, you think it'll go well. See, that's the thing. Like, I'm the more north you are, the more easy it is for me to meet you. The more south you are, the harder, right? Well, the problem is, I'm just completely smitten with Florence. I actually told somebody the other day, and I think it's true I've never fallen in love faster with anything or anyone than I did with Florence. Did you visit the Medici family museum? Yeah, of course. When you were there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. so I can't currently fathom ever going back to Italy and not doing like at least a week in Florence. Um, I need a week I need a week, and I then, then week we can talk beyond that, but um okay, but you know, like I've talked to like Marcus Setter, arguably the greatest big mountain slash freestyle skier in history, who lives in northern Italy. Uh, like I've talked with him and Marcus is like, you have to come experience like Northern Italy. And right now, I'm like, that's cool. But the problem is I've completely <laughs> fallen in love. It's not near Florence. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So, that's why like maybe a week in Florence and then I try to head up to the, you know, near the Dolanites. Um, I'm sure it's amazing. Or if you came in the summer again,
1: we can time it during Val Soul World Cup. And you can be legitimately scared for your life trying to walk a downhill track. No. <sighs> I mean. And do all those things that we just talked about. I know. But the thing it's is. It's on the way. If you want to go see Marcus Ader and and go to Florence, we pretty much have to go through Trentino. I go to Val de Soleil. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Okay.
0: Well, it can it can be one of the trips I do, but I'm pretty committed yeah. at this point in life to like. Every autumn, I'm going to be in Italy. Okay. That's my that's my current life plan.
1: Which is good. You miss the busy, crazy
0: yeah, tourist and, time. And the that's wicked freaking hotness that now is Europe in the summer. Maybe mm-hmm. not in Austria right now. I know you guys are getting delug- deluged with rain, but I don't mm. want to go. It feels like November. I don't want to go
3: in July, August. Yeah. So.
0: Anyway.
1: Holy tangent, Batman.
0: Yeah, a little bit. How do you not like Hob and 12? I don't you like Bunahab and 12. so good. <clears throat> no, it's it's uh because I am somebody you who know, actually, you know what it
1: is? I, I figured it
0: out. I know what it is. What? You're just new to Scotch. You're just I you're getting dude, in there. I'm, we started with I hate Scotch. I think I've made real strides. I'm proud of you. And in fact, I might Man, my whole Sunday is just (laughs) what I sort of imagined it was going to be, which is sort of ruined in a way. Um,
1: It's just getting
0: started. (laughs) There's so much good whiskey and bourbon and rye whiskey and scotch that I prefer over Buna 12. That's that's the only. Okay, thing. that's fine. But I definitely hey, don't I the listener should understand that you really like Buna Haben 12. It's your maybe could we call it your daily driver? That sounds kind of bad, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, people should definitely check it yeah. out. I hope they love it. <clears throat> if
1: I had more money, I would have a different daily driver, but a different? It's good. A different um
0: I blame you. Oh, boy. Um, now, um,
1: cheers. I think yeah. I'm okay with you not liking Buna Hobbin 12
0: because you would like my other favorite, Tamdu 15. You know I like Tamdu 15. We already so, established this.
1: So, we've established this and we're, I'm okay with you not digging the, the Buna 12. Um, but you because know what I'm
0: going to now? What I've described Arrington. as a guy with very limited knowledge of scotch. When's the last time you've had that? Uh, our, our last podcast. Really? So, okay. yeah, yeah. Now I'm really curious to see how you all right. get along with this now. All right. Manzer's all excited. I'm going to have a yeah. little water to clear the palate.
1: So, one of the things that when I was first starting my scotch journey is I was disappointed with, with distilleries. When they change the recipe from a 10 to a 12 to a 15 to an 18 or whatever. So what Jonathan just poured is a dram of Aaron 10. That's more than a dram. Damn. Good job, buddy. Damn. (sighs) So much for mountain biking on Sunday. Uh. Oh. So Aaron 10 has almost nothing in common with Aaron 18. And as far as I'm aware, there's not an official bottling in the middle. Like there's no 12 or 15. Do they go 10 to 18?
0: Right now, I think that's all they do. Well, 46%, um, non-chilled, non-chill filtered, natural color. It's all the things we like and believe in. Yep. Yeah. And this is their, I
1: think this is their entry point into their age range. Of scotches, hmm. so and from a price perspective, especially in Europe, it's a it's a killer deal. Hmm. I, I get that for like thirty five euros, huh. which is awesome. There are non age statements above that, so they have a Aaron quarter cask, so it's a really small cask, um so it matures the spirit faster. So even though it's a non age. They're able to put it out sooner before the 10-year. And it's put out at, I think, 50% is the quarter cask. And they also do the sherry cask, which we talked about. They do a port cask.
2: And they do a sauterness cask, like a really sweet white wine. And um, so their
1: non-age statement range out of their catalog is pretty wicked as well i think out of all the bottles that i have in my cabinet for example i have the most erin at the moment huh i probably got like six different erins huh i have the 10 18 quarter cask sherry port satranes
0: Yep, and they're all stellar we love the Aaron, eighteen, but they didn't make the eighteen. Your, they didn't make your top three,
1: ah, dude. There's so many good ones. There's literally like 150 distilleries in Scotland. We could just like we're not going roll to
0: 150. To. We're not going to anyone's known for their peated BS.
1: <laughs> Fuck those. So what's cool with Aaron is they just opened a second distillery for peated scotch. Like a, they literally invested and said, we should, hey, we're going to do a different thing. We should burn that one down to the ground when we're there. Shh, they'll hear you. Shh. Okay.
2: Still like it? <clears throat> Bigger punch than I remember. It's a it's, solid it's whiskey. Not, it's not cotton candy. Yeah. Hmm. Put a spoon of water in it. Seriously. It's a substantial scotch. Magic spoon, magic spoon, baby. Well, the interesting thing here—it's
1: good, it's good I mean, stuff. The I, eight, the eighteen. So, what I've heard, whiskey connoisseurs who are far more experienced than me mentioned that the Aaron eighteen is an old school
0: sherry. Hmm.
1: Whatever that means, right? Well, you don't know. So, if you go back to the fifties and sixties, yeah, wasn't even born yet. Um, well.
0: Okay. (laughs)
1: They're they're like, no, no. They're like, this is like what it was before scotch got popular, before scotch got watered down. Mm. So, you love the Aaron 10 and you're like, wow, that's super good. Uh, I should go for the Aaron 18, right? That's just going to be better. The answer is yes, it's better, but it's way different. Better but different. The the Aaron 18 is like a sherry-matured scotch rather than a bourbon-matured scotch. So when you get the 18 in hand, it is incredibly dark red, reddish-brown. Uh, and it's regarded as what's called an old-school sherry-matured scotch. And the people who mention, who qualify it that way, they are people who have been around the scotch industry for a long time and they're harkening back to the days of like when it was when the scotch industry was just simpler right there weren't big budgets to our big sales goals to hit or budgets to be constrained by they're like hey this is like we matured the scotch and sherry here it goes yay and um
2: when you taste it it is a very strong mouth feel right when i first had
1: air in 18 i was like i kind of i should like this i like sherry matured scotch but i was like there's just something about it where it's just too much something's going on where i couldn't quite you know put my uh put a word to it and um but i was drinking it neat and what i found was this is a scotch from my own personal palate, I really need to add water to. And then it calms down and it becomes whatever it is. And for me, Aaron 18, even though it's sherry matured and it should
2: be wow for me, adding water to it uh, is what makes it a super accessible and tasty drink for me. So...
1: Long story short, you can't approach a range sometime expecting the 10 to 12 to 15 to 18 to all be the same thing. Mm -hmm. These distilleries and the brands, they are trying to spice it up a little bit. They're trying to make the younger age statements more accessible, which I think what you said, Jonathan, the air ten is like, this is something I could give to anybody and they'll like scotch whiskey. Whereas the 18 is definitely for somebody who is more experienced with scotch. And they know that this is a very complicated or complex single malt. And there's a lot going on to it. To its credit, it's not simple. It's not easy. It requires some experience with scotch whiskey. And I think once you're there, you will enjoy it quite a bit and unfortunately i haven't had the 21 or the 25 my uh, my my pay grade's not quite there yet but um i could imagine you know like we said earlier consistency is a measure of quality right the 21 is a different recipe than the 18 just looking at the bottles you see they're very different in color and because of that you know there's different casks going into each so the nice thing is even though an age range or um an official range from a distillery it may not be consistent in terms of the 18 year old being the same as the 10 it's just 8 years older right there's more to it than that like there's more going on on the recipe side of things than just, oh, this is an older whiskey. There's just a different recipe involved. Sometimes it's more sherry, sometimes more bourbon cask matured or whatever.
2: Um, But if you like the signature that's in the Aaron 10, whenever
1: you buy an Aaron quarter cask, Sautreness cask, 18 year old, 21, 25, you're gonna get a variety of flavor profiles, but they're all still aaron ish Right? Aaron-ish. They all have that they still have that common platonic form of Aaronness to them. Right? And that but that you'll see that throughout. And um I think that's just kind of what makes it more interesting. It's not just the simple. Oh, this is just older. They've done something in the recipe
0: that that deserves that you should try them all if you can. Well, we've been talking for an extremely long time. We've had a bit to drink over this extremely long conversation. So I'm there's still some left. There's still some left. I've got. Yep. I've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six bottles uh, within arm's reach but uh i'm i'm tempted to say this to people that are still listening maybe what we say is to sweeten the deal for the blister summit i'm i i should be more careful here because i have no idea what this stuff costs but if people are still listening to this and they're coming to the summit and they send us an email and they're and they say, I want in on the Aaron 21 or 25, we will have a little tasting in HQ. <laughs> I don't know if it's the 21 or 25 and I pray to God this stuff doesn't cost like many thousands of dollars. But so, I'm not going to let them in necessarily on our Buna Haben 11 independent... Bottling that that was me and you. You already committed to coming to the summit for that. But what I what I will say, we will find an evening, but it's only going to we'll be We'll do a raffle. We'll mm, do a raffle of those who no, came in. It's not even a raffle. Ex- it's they have to email blister and say, I want in on the Aaron 21 or 25 tasting. And I have between now and February to secure one of those bottles. And we will do that. And I really hope it's not wild, wild expensive.
1: To to be fair, it's not expensive. Okay. In the the
0: grand scheme of like... It's not 50,000? Because if it was 50,000 euros, I would actually then not go through with this. I don't know what it comes
1: across as a dollar, but uh, you'll be fine
0: okay yeah okay or it'll bankrupt blister and this will be the end of blister
1: it'll be like buying us a nice pair of skis basically
0: wow okay damn Mm -hmm. yeah okay not cheap not cheap
1: definitely a a nice present to those who email yeah for
0: sure okay all right well to the faithful Mm. there you go um I'm going to fly in just for the tasting so there you go. <laughs> it's unfortunately it now sounds like your flight might be cheaper <laughs> than the tasting so you know <laughs> fuck me but whatever um okay um look it's been a minute on this um we really haven't talked about sherry per se I think we should punt on that because I don't know how much gas I have left in the tank here. All this will be part three and a <laughs> half slash four, I'm sure. <laughs> part four sherry. Okay. Maybe, maybe we even invite in a sherry maker. I don't know. Um, How's your Spanish? Um, mi español es solamente... Is that uh, Italian? No, that's Spanish. Is it? Yeah. It's so similar. It's, anyway, not good enough. So Yo hablo español, just, pero pero solamente un poquito. I speak Spanish but only a little. Just a little. Just mm-hmm. a little. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so so we live La biblioteca está en mis pantalones. <laughs> the library's in your pants? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We got this. Oh, uh, we got this? <laughs> um Okay. So, we lied to the people, you know, when we said at the top of this conversation that we would be talking about sherry. We're not going to talk about sherry. And I will try to remember to include that in the introduction here. But um, we did talk a lot about scotch and independent bottlings and who- And sherry matured scotch. And sherry matured scotch. So, yep. Yep. So, I think we can say that you know, our work here is mostly done. The Scotland trip, we absolutely need to make happen. Unfortunately. So many
1: open points.
0: Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think me and you going... It either happens like in three weeks or it's likely not till sometime in 2024.
1: If that's the parameters we're working with, it's 24.
0: Yeah. Okay. So in 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 some respects we've be, this has all been a massive disappointment to listeners. I mean We had a blast though. We we had a blast. <laughs> this completely ruined my However, Sunday.
1: I think most people are gonna be completely disappointed <laughs> listening to two idiots <laughs> talk about scotch on a very basic
0: level. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Who can say? I, I don't know. I, I think there have been some good good moments shared in this. <laughs> hey i just want to know
1: yeah i've heard you discuss beer wine yeah and rum yeah but you never drink with these people it sounds like uh, like karen from montana rum your yeah. podcast was very sober and disappointing oh
0: <laughs> wait we drank during that one for, Not, no, for no, no no it was amazing no no because
1: it was disappointing because more so on your side, she's amazing. She's amazing. And she sounds like she should replace you as the voice of Blister. <laughs> probably, I'm going on record probably. right now. Yeah. But um, it seems like you get the most inebriated with me.
0: That's true. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Like definitely the most drunk I've ever been on a particular Blister podcast is either you or with Cody. Um, with
2: me,
1: I think. I couldn't tell well, with Cody.
0: Yeah. And I can't remember right now, but one of them where I was like two hours late and you'd started drinking and I'd eaten zero food for the day. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. That was probably the episode I was the most drunk. But uh, yes. yeah, Karen and I were drinking her excellent Montagna rum. But I think we kept it together. We didn't we weren't rolling deep on that one. It's
1: probably because you guys were new, right? Um, you didn't have I mean, seven I, episodes with Karen no, before I, resti- Yeah, yeah. That's right. right. That's right. Oh, yeah. that's that the, rum, that's by the, the way, is there.
0: phenomenal. Absolutely sure. phenomenal. Um I'll and a pirate. I'm at, a rum the, guy. at the Blister Summit, you will be able to try some of that. Um, we yeah. get we get McAllen twenty five no, and Montana uh, Rum. Aaron. Oh Aaron, Not 25. McAllen. Okay. We hate McAllen, remember? Sure. They're dead to us. If you're buying a McAllen 25, I'll still try it. I'm not. No. They will get zero of my money. Um, I if you just said you'd do it, though. No. I hate them. We're out on them. Um, <sighs> okay. But Montanya rum, Aaron, 21 or 25. This Bunnahabhain 11. Yeah. Fuck Bunnahabhain 12. Right. Which here. is
1: nuts, right? That you're, like, blown away by, an like, 11 years old is nothing on, like, the scotch continuum.
0: Yeah. I don't, all I know is it's make... way better than Boonahab and 12 in, to my palate. Um, just saying. Independent
1: bottlings for the win.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I can't wait to see if we get any emails about this or whether it's just you and me sitting in blistering No one's going to
1: listen for this long about I, this.
0: Well, but it's two parts. It's two parts. We're going to drop Even two. Even worse. We're going to make people tap in a second time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, okay. I have faith in our <clears> listeners. <throat> and uh, we'll do this either in Blister headquarters or at my home, which is like a seven-minute walk from Blister headquarters. Um, we'll do this. And it's Only be- if
1: we can read some of the Loeb library elements that are behind that you just there. just in
0: the background. I'd happy to mm-hmm. do a reading. Yep. Can we mm-hmm. do that Latin or Greek? In the Greek. Yep. Please. That's it. So we didn't really talk about Sherry. I'm still I think I'm more out on Sherry than Scotch, but I'm coming around on Scotch a bit. So I, there's probably needs to be a crafted episode down the line dedicated to Sherry. So we've already talked about that. Other than that, I think we've I think we've we've done some good work here. Let's do some more. Okay. Hey, man. Thank you. I'm sorry. It's what time is it? It's almost 1 a.m. Quarter to one, (laughs) Sunday night in Austria. But you have an easy Monday. You told me you have an easy Monday. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to officially cut us off here. Matt Manzer, always a pleasure. I never quite know where these conversations are going to go, but... uh, That's part of the fun. It is part of the fun, and uh, I appreciate the insight, the perspective, and uh, that's really it. There's not a third thing. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad I could
1: contribute (laughs) in some way, I I hope. And uh, let's go through to the next round.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Till the next time. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. Thanks so much, of course, to Matt for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for putting up with us, especially those of you who stuck around to the end. If I wasn't currently taking a little bit of a break from Scotch... I would definitely be raising my glass to all of you who made it this far. All right, everybody, that's all we've got for you here. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.